Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of One Perfect Game, the show about video games and the people who play them. My name is Matt Tilby. I am your host for this wonderful adventure. And my guest for today's episode is a host and writer for Donut Media, one of the most popular automotive YouTube channels with over 6 million subscribers and 1.6 billion views. That's with a B, I should say. He is the host of Wheelhouse, the patron of the Past Gas podcast, the leader of Low Team, and he also appears in Dirt 5, available now. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Nolan Sykes. Nolan, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you for that intro. That's so, that was cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, wow, I'm impressed. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, I'd definitely like to uh, give it a little <laughs> bit of flourish to welcome my guests. So I, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. But, I love uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. How you been, man? It's been an interesting couple of months for, for, for yourself and, uh, and for Donut. Uh, how have things been going so far? Wow. Uh, I've been very busy. I just uh, moved into a new place and that was coming off the tail end of shooting um, a bunch of episodes of Free Ride, uh, a, a kind of game show we have on our channel. So it's the past month has been uh, very busy. But I'm happy to be settling into the new spot and uh, kind of just trying to get refocused here. Um, Sunday was my birthday, so I feel like I'm taking that as like a yes, as like a marker of uh, just trying to just get things back on track, I guess. Yeah, the big 24. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, yeah, nah, don't yeah. look a day over 25. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll start with a big congratulations, obviously, five years at Donut Media, which uh, you celebrated at the start of the year. It must be crazy to see how things have uh, sort of evolved since you you started with the company. Man, it's been, anytime I think of it, it's it's pretty mind-blowing. I feel very, very, just very lucky and uh, just amazed that we've come so far. Um, Like when you're listening off, you know, the subscriber count and then view count, I was like, oh, Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> like sometimes, <laughs> kind of get um, kind of get not distracted with the work, but very focused on the work and focused on just making making stuff. And uh, don't mm. take time to don't take the time to to reflect on on um, just everything we've done. You know, that's kind of been what I've been trying to do. Kind of this year is be more present. Uh, so when we do get these opportunities to shoot videos, either with cool cars or cool locations or with cool people, it's you know, appreciate it at the time instead of wishing I did later on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in the you know, the most recent past gas episode, it was sort of like actually mentioned that alongside this automotive passion that you had, I mean, you also went to broadcasting school and you did theater. Like mm-hmm. was Donut always a big influence in where you wanted to see your career going or did you have those sort of options um, wanting to create content um, as you got older? Yeah, so I, um, how I got into wanting to be on, I guess, YouTube um, was, was just pretty much seeing that other, other people were able to do it. You know, at the time when I was in community college, um, bef- way before Donut, you know, I was watching watching guys like uh, David Patterson or that dude in blue, um, the uh, Mighty Car Mods guys down there yes yes um big influence and just figuring like hey man like if if those guys can do it then i feel like i i should be able to do it too and uh you know when i transferred from my community college to uh a school down here in la called csu northridge 
Um, I, I was just enrolled in the broadcasting department and, uh, or, yeah, television production. And, you know, Donut wasn't super around at that time. They were very, very small. It was a different company back then when I was in school. Um, and when my senior year came, it, uh, one of the requirements was to have an internship. Didn't really, it wasn't super important what company that you got an internship with. It was just like, you just had to have an internship. But I knew that there were a few different automotive channels down here in LA that I wanted to, you know, intern with. And Donut was the only one that got back to me. And probably because at the time they were so small, I think it was about five or six people working there. It was a much different company back then. It was more like a, like an advertising, uh, not agency, but we made commercials for other brands. So yeah. So we'd like make, uh, ads for like snap on tools or, or, um, uh, Nissan, uh, just these small ads that would live on those channels. And, you know, uh, it wasn't until later on that we made the switch to making our own original content. That's when, that's when the, the channel really took off with up to speed. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly, the, the, the creative content <laughs> certainly shows, I guess, through the, um, the advertisements that go through each video. So I, I don't that, think I've ever been more entertained by, <laughs> by yeah, ads in a video. You know, it, it, it's funny how it is kind of come back around a little bit. Um, you know, we have a really dedicated and uh, creative branded department that handles the writing and production of, you know, our uh, our sponsored content, as it's called in the biz, or branded content, rather. Um, yeah, and we just have a lot of fun with those, and it's 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 crazy. It's almost like there's a there's a little bit of a internal rivalry. You know, it's like man, if like the branded team is able to do this so well, like the, the actual video itself needs to be more, needs to be more bombastic or more creative. Uh, so I, I, yes, like that's the advertising side and that's how we pay our bills, but it's also kind of spurred, it spurs creativity as well on the editorial side of things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, there's obviously been quite a bit that both yourself and Donut have accomplished in the last 12 months, not only reaching those pretty insane uh, subscriber milestones, but also some, you know, really excellent content being put out um, pretty much daily, it seems like. But um, what stands out to you as some particular highlights from the past year? Uh, obviously, our uh, our high-low, uh, second season of high-low um, if you're unfamiliar, it's a pretty simple concept. We just take two vehicles and we build one with a super high budget and one with a super low budget. And this time around, we uh, built two Toyota Tacomas. We turned them into overlanders, so kind of camping off-roaders. And uh, that, I mean, it was that was a pretty titanic effort. Um, it was a lot of long days, but. The videos in the end came out just super well, and I'm super proud of the team and uh, just everyone involved with that. Our whole company, you know, when we when we go into the high low productions, it's we kind of have to block off block off a month of just per, of uh, shooting time. You know, the hosts, mm. uh, pretty much everyone involved on that show is strictly focused on that uh, shoot, and it, it's just. Uh, we really do it. <laughs> we really, <laughs> we really get in the trenches on those. And I, I yeah, so super proud of Hilo season two. Um, man, we've done, it's hard, like, I know we've done other really cool things that I'm struggling to forget right now. Uh, but like you said, you know, we, we do post, uh, 
very consistently, nearly daily. And I mean, we just we have a very like we have so many people behind the scenes making that happen. Uh, producers and editors. We have about forty five people on staff. I think a lot of uh, people remote working remote now. Um, but man, yeah, it just wouldn't be possible, especially without the editing side. Uh, editing is is such a a uh, it's it's an insane skill to have to do it well, and uh, yeah. it's <laughs> I don't think people realize um, just how much time it takes to when to not just shoot a video, but also lay it out in your editing software of choice and and make it into a video that actually is good. Um, yeah, <laughs> I did it for a short while here at the channel. Uh, but I mean, that totally different ball game to what we do now. And I certainly couldn't do it. Uh, so I just want to give a shout out to the editors, all you editors out there, not just that donut, but all you guys in make general, it happen in general, world, editors yeah. in general. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everybody, you know, I, I would put our team, I just, I just, I just love our team so much and would just put, put put donut against against anybody not that you know create creativity is a competition but let's just say like if any if tomorrow we suddenly have to like figure out how to make a cooking like if we pivoted to cooking content or or you know what's popular right now (laughs) public embarrassment content i guess uh we'd be able to figure it out you know we that's just like the caliber of our team they can do anything yeah, I'll be I'll be definitely looking forward to the uh, the donut media pranking and cooking show <laughs> in the next couple of months. That should be good. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, personally, <laughs> personally for myself, I had actually been binging a, a fair bit of high low over the last few months. Uh, obviously, season two finishing, I think near the end of last year. Yeah. Um, and when I was watching it, it reminded me a lot of the the sort of automotive shows you'd find on the Discovery Channel in the mid two thousands. Shows like. Uh, American Chopper and, and Monster Garage were both mm-hmm. in sort of that like educational and entertainment sort of half and half, which I found was an interesting fit. Um, when you guys were planning the season out, um, you sort of mentioned previously like you you pretty much bunker down and, and sort of sort it all out almost in month monthly chunks almost. Was there any sort of inspirations or ideas from, you know, things previously gone or was it pretty much just you guys you know, getting in there and getting sort of content out there? Well, in terms of uh, season two, you know, we kind of identified that, I mean, that just the the extreme popularity that Overlanding uh, has kind of uh, experienced in the past two years, mostly due to COVID, people getting outdoors. It's like, okay, this is the style of, of car at the moment. And this Tacoma kind is, they're hard to find for a, a decent price nowadays, but... um you know, this this would be the car that uh, someone on a budget would get. Uh, this it's a it's a fine balance between trying to find, you know, the car of the moment that makes sense for the task at hand, but also something that someone would feasibly be able to buy. Like, I think mm. the the season one car that we did, like the Nissan 350Z, like that is that's just like I feel like a mascot for Donut. Not just like because we worked on him, but like that car in particular just embodies so much of of the kind of stuff we're into and who our audience is like, it's like affordable, yeah. just affordable, uh, hooligan car, you know, just, you can do whatever you can interpret it so many different ways. Um, but anyway, back to Hilo or the Tacomas rather. Yeah. So we identified the, the 
overlanding trend, got the right cars. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of pre-production that goes into, into Hilo, just selecting the right parts and then kind of planning out the episodes around those parts. Um, we have, we have pretty robust outlines for the episodes, uh, but it's not scripted in the same way. Like a lot of the, you mentioned the discovery channel shows and, you know, television production, like especially in reality TV, you know, like a lot of that stuff is, uh, very, very planned out. We'll say, yes, <laughs> like the various pratfalls or predicaments they find themselves in. Um, and you know, just everything that happens on the high low is, is legit. Uh, <laughs> like the, in the, in the finale, a certain large piece breaks. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I want to spoil it for your, your listeners, a certain large piece breaks. And yes. <laughs> I mean it like, I would not, I would not be, uh, surprised if someone thought that we did that on purpose, but because of the nature of the shoot and just the, the mindsets we were in at the time, like it just, it, that's just something that happened, you know, like James was a little tired and, uh, broke it, you know? So it's, 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 uh, it's outlined, but it's not, uh, it's not rehearsed, I'll say. Yeah, no, that, that's yeah. definitely a good way to put it. And I, uh, yes, definitely recommend uh, the listeners to go and check out both seasons of High Low. It is yeah. uh, very good content on Donut Media's YouTube. And um, those definitely kind of embody what the channel's about. And it, they're both like the work I'm most proud of, I would say. Yeah, definitely. It, it's certainly a, a very good mix of, uh, I guess, educational car content and someone like me who's you know a fan of cars but obviously yeah. not to the degree of some of the people who you know take apart cars and and sort of create project cars it's it's certainly something that's a little bit over my head but uh yeah it's certainly good to learn about that sort of stuff as well as uh enjoy a bit of the the content that's being put out so it's always a, a good mix but uh i mean there's always there's there's been some uh, other stuff outside of donut you've been able to do you recently uh you joined up with ryan vargas and the the jd motorsports team to yes ex- experience life in the pit lane at fontana what goes into a day like that like having watched plenty of nascar and, and f1 and and all sorts of motorsports i think the job that a pit crew does is is super under underappreciated so what was that like Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was a really cool experience. I just was able to reach out to Ryan through Twitter. Um, over the past two years, he's really, uh, his social media presence has really grown. He really, um, he kind of established a foothold in TikTok primarily, um, was one of the first drivers to really embrace that platform. And, um, you know, that's how I found out about him. So I kind of, I hit him up or I'd, you know, been in correspondence with him over the past couple of years, just through Twitter and, asked his advice on for other kind of NASCAR related videos. So, uh, this year I, I just asked him like straight up like, Hey man, can I like come crew for you guys? And he said, yes, I had to, <laughs> I had to go get drug tested, um, NASCAR <laughs> for my temporary license that I had to get. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, I showed up at the track and what's interesting about, about these NASCAR teams is like the pit crew and drivers, like this is, this is their job. This is it. They are all paid obviously. Uh, but they're, they're constantly traveling. Um, it's like, it's, it's, they just have a life on the road. It's like, it's almost like being in a band. Not that I've been in a band, uh, traveling (laughs) band like that, but you know, as soon as the race is over, you know, if you, if you didn't, if your car is not on the podium, then you're packing it up and 
the truck's ready to go within two hours. And then by, uh, you know, you're going to, you're leaving that night to the next track. They were, they, they were heading out to Vegas the next day, uh, for the oh, next wow. weekend's race. Yeah. So that was pretty surprising to me. Uh, just seeing that in person, seeing, even though that was, I think the, what race was that of the season? I think that was only the second or third race of the, the Xfinity series season. And I could already see like the, the road mentality in their eyes, you know, cause they know that they're going to have to be sleeping on a truck in a semi truck or SUV or what have you on the way to the next track, mm-hmm. um, living out of hotels, you know, it was super interesting that way. I'd love to see some sort of uh, TV series around that, just sticking with one team. Maybe not yeah. TV series, but documentary would be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of, obviously, with like Drive to Survive and in mm-hmm. F1 being more about the drivers. But I think, you know, the, those those guys in, in pit crews, regardless of what sport it is, like they're very highly trained and they do a job that, I mean, us laymans couldn't do you know, if, if yeah. our jobs depended on it. So I think anyone being able to uh, screw in a, a wheel within sort of two seconds of a pit stop is, <laughs> is pretty impressive. So I'll give them yeah. that. Pretty wild. Um, I, I wish, you know, I was like thinking like, oh man, I'm going to be like working on a car or, you know, whatever. I mean, they have they have the cars pretty damn well sorted before the weekend even starts because they've got their garages that their, their, their home base is at. And pretty much mm. all the mechanical work and uh that they deem necessary is usually done before they they hit the track you know they're going to be making adjustments after qualifying and what have you or during practice uh, but for the most part it's all sorted and uh just a little bit of background like i've i've crewed on some other racing teams uh but the 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 previous teams that i was on were were at like a amateur or pro amateur level so it's appropriate for someone who doesn't have a lot of experience to help out in in larger ways to contribute to the team mm. in at that level. But once you get to a professional level, like the Xfinity team that I was with with Ryan, uh, I was mostly I mostly just help push the car. You know, like <laughs> that's kind of what the the free labor can do. You know, uh, the other guys, all the other mechanics, they they are paid. And they 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 know what they're doing, so I, I, I didn't do a whole lot of uh, mechanical work, mostly just uh, pushing stuff around and loading tires and stuff. Yeah, just steer clear, just get out of their way and let them <laughs> do yeah, their magic yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely uh, my mindset. I was like, okay, I don't want to get in anyone's way here. I'm just yeah. I'm just here. <laughs> and I guess, uh, of course, to to act as a nice segue into the next segment, one of the things that really sort of made me aware of, of donut was uh hearing you and your co-host james pumphrey on dirt five i guess as, as part of the donut podcast um wow. as a fan of racing games this must have been a, a big bucket list moment for you how did that come about that was an incredible uh experience uh, i'm not sure of the how the the logist the business logistics of how that came about but um when I found out that we'd be doing that I was super excited because I mean the dirt series is one is one that I've been playing for a long time, you know, with Dirt 1. Um, and, yeah, just super cool to work with uh, with Nolan North and Troy Baker, uh, just two absolute legends of uh, voice acting. Uh, it was just – that was just surreal, um, especially with, with Nolan North. Well, I mean, both of them. Both of them starring in uh, Naughty Dog games, which are pretty much my favorite. Uh so 
very cool experience. The the studio that we worked in was just in Burbank, California. Uh, just nondescript little little studio. Um, <laughs> but inside, just like this amazing like space station kind of studio. Just huge soundboard, incredible mics, and just like the clearest mics you've ever heard. Um, I don't know. It was it was just surreal. Um, and especially being able to hear it as the game came out. And just the the reception was was very cool. Uh, just I think we we did we, it was it was a lot of fun, and I think we we did a pretty pretty good job. <laughs> I mean, being being able to sort of show your friends like that's me. I'm in a yeah. video game now. Like that's. <laughs> I mean, how many people get to say that? You know, it's it's yeah. Again, another moment where I was like, this is extremely cool, but also like, how fortunate fortunate am I to do this? Like, wow, really, really. <laughs> really trying to stay present during those those days of recording i think it only took two days actually to record all the lines um and you know i think my favorite part was uh reading all the names that you could select like in the game you select your nickname so we had to go through and you know they had like 200 names or something like that and uh just get like three takes of each one in different inflections uh and that that took I don't think that took actually too long, maybe like two hours, I would say, um, which was surprising. But yeah, being able to to work alongside, like going back to Nolan North and, and Troy Baker, like those guys are just like natural actors, man. Like, yeah. you know, you meet them in the studio, you're like, hey, what's up, man? Like, oh, like, oh I loved Uncharted or, uh, you know, uh, Last of Us. And then they once they get in the booth, they just turn into different people. It was it was unreal to see that in person. It was. Yeah, Definitely. It was such just, a very surreal experience. <laughs> it, it, it was. It was just. I'm like reminiscing real hard now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll move yeah. on just to to that keep your really mind cool. ticking over um, in this space. But uh, of course, obviously, we're here on a gaming podcast, Nolan. And I guess uh, yes. In this next segment, uh, we normally like to talk about the guests. I guess formative years in gaming and sort of what they grew up playing, uh, sort of their first consoles or first memories of games and. For you, what was that like? What were your first sort of memories or uh, was there a particular moment or a game that you played that really sort of kick-started your love of gaming? Yeah, so the first game I remember playing um, was called Radical Rex. Are you familiar with this game? It's, I don't think I am, no. <laughs> okay, it's it's a Sonic clone um, about a T-Rex that rides a skateboard. Okay, very 90s. That's the game. <laughs> yeah, very 90s. Uh so the like, I played that. I don't remember which system it came out for, but uh, my mom would go to the go to the gym, and then the gym had like a little kids daycare kind of room, and that they in the back they had like a Nintendo and a Super Nintendo. So uh, those are the first systems I remember playing. So it was Radical Rex, and then moving on to uh, like the early Donkey Kongs and you know Super Mario Brothers, and you might think that that would uh, make me a Nintendo. Uh, guy uh, I'm not um, <laughs> it didn't it didn't stick of course I, re- I respect Nintendo and all and especially like Mario Kart I really do love Mario Kart probably unsurprisingly but and Mario Party Mario Party's great but uh, I'm more <laughs> of a Sony Sony guy now okay um, yeah so actually I did take notes I did make an outline here um, <laughs> uh so yeah uh didn't really didn't have a console 
in my early childhood, uh, most of the games I played were at friends' house or friend okay. at friends' house. They were at friends' house uh, at friends' houses. <laughs> um, I definitely clearly remember playing uh, Nintendo sixty four games like uh, you know Goldeneye, but also Perfect Dark, uh, which yes. is probably not a game that a young child should be playing. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> playing that at my best friend uh, Andrew's house. He lived across the street. And uh, we'd be playing that in his older brother's room. They were, I think they're like eight years older than us. So they're like in high school. We were just like these like 10-year-old kids, like the little brothers hanging out with the high schoolers, probably annoying the hell out of them, playing Perfect Dark with them, listening to Eminem. Uh, Great childhood experience, I think. (laughs) Uh, Would highly recommend. Um, And then I think a couple years after that, that's when I first got my first console was, was a PS2. Um, I think I went with a PS2 or wanted a PlayStation because my cousins had one and they were playing Burnout 2, uh, one time when I was, uh, visiting them and I was like, oh man, whatever, whatever game this is and whatever system this is, I, I must have it. So I begged and begged my parents for months and, uh, they finally folded and then it was over. <laughs> it was sealed right there, you know, from there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From there, um, I mean, it's it's interesting that you sort of mentioned that like Burnout Two sort of being the first game that you played on the PS2 was that sort of, and I mean it it, it probably sh- I probably should ask given that you know you you work on cars you're in an automotive channel I guess normally I just ask you know what what was the sort of impetus for them for the guest to be interested in games but for you it's it's also what interest like what sort of brought you into enjoying cars was was the games part of that sort of interest did that help uh that interest flourish or was was there something else that sort of interested you into playing something like burnout too you know i think with my upbringing how it was and um just my dad being a huge car guy as well i was either i was going to get into cars either way no matter what happened but uh I think it's because these games were about cars and especially like racing games at that era too were so good um, that, you know, it was just like a convergence of my interests, but also just the gameplay being really good, really mm. solid at that time. Yeah. So it was just like a perfect storm of factors coming together. And, uh, but I also think that the game we'll talk about later and maybe some of these other games um, at this time, definitely like, those are my formative years, you know, like, you know, 12 years old on where you really start to figure out what you're into. And this was just like, it was just a feedback loop of being like, oh, I think I like cars. Oh, I like this game about cars. That's going to make me like cars even more because now I know about cars a little bit more because of this game, you know, and it just like, yeah. it just, it's just a cycle. Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's interesting. Like I, I'm almost in the, that same sort of loop. Like I, you know, my, my father was a big uh, car guy himself and obviously still is like i think the first car that i can remember that he had was a i think an 86 uh firebird trans am in like a real like nice like dark oh, wow. red cherry color so yeah like yeah it definitely was like oh okay this is an interesting sort of development like um you know and he sort of brought me on to you know cars and and sort of even then going to to motorsport like i watched a, a whole bunch of, of formula one loved mm-hmm. michael schumacher and, and mark weber like and and really sort of the the family sort of ties to to cars was was sort of how i got into um that sort of 
part of things. Obviously, you know, we, we played a lot of Gran Turismo 3 and 4 when we were, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we had a PS2 as well. So it's like that sort of link, I, I think, always is important to address because it's like if, if you've got a family member who is big into cars and, and that can really sort of like filter on. And I think that's that's almost how like most people seem to be <laughs> getting yes. into to cars as they're younger. But uh, it's always an important link to make, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely generational. Um, for most people that I talk to, it's either like, oh, yeah, like my dad was in the cars, my grandpa, or, you know, my mom even. Uh, it That's always like the big, the first, big first step in. Um, and then I don't, it's, I guess it's great that uh, driving cars translates super well to video games. <laughs> <laughs> it, great it's for the industry. A- an, an interesting link, yeah. I guess uh, after that, uh, as you started to get older, you, obviously you mentioned um, you're a big fan of, of games like Uncharted and The Last of Us obviously coming out in the next sort of couple of, of games, um, generations yeah. of consoles. Like, was that yeah. something that you really sort of moved over to, those more sort of adventure-based games? I think so. Um, you know, in the PS2 era, like, I, I was really also super into the, uh, like, the, the Sony originals, like, uh, Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and yes, Sly yeah. Cooper. I, oh, I just love those games so much. But I definitely think that the 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 PS3 era um, is when I did start to, like, appreciate the narrative game, like, narrative-based games a little bit more. Mm. Um, yeah, my childhood could definitely be summed up with the racing games. And then, you know, as you get older, you get more like invested into like real storytelling. So in high school, I was definitely a huge fan of Red Dead Redemption when that came out. Um, you know, the Uncharted games, uh, those were definitely some of my favorite. Oh, the Arkham games as well. Yes. People kind of, I don't, I won't say forget about them, but cause I mean, they were, they were huge and definitely got their due, but uh, I still think about them sometimes, especially Arkham City. That was just definitely oh, yeah. one of the best best games I've ever played. Um, but oh, but not not just the narrative games either. But like, uh, you know, I didn't when I had the PS2 didn't have like that network. Uh, what was that module called for online play? I forget what it was called, but I didn't have that. Obviously, oh, Central Station. I think it was called at least something in Australia, like that. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, you know, I think we had dial-up, too, during when I had the PS2. Ooh, so, like, okay. no, there, yeah, there wasn't going to be any uh, online play for me at that age. But, you know, time goes on, get the PS3, and, you know, that has Wi-Fi. So, uh, you know, that's when I started getting into the multiplayer gaming. Um, Battlefield, Battlefield Bad Company 2 was, like, the first, I want to say, like, the first multiplayer game that I really got super into um and uh i mean that that was like one of what a great game for uh for a bunch of high schoolers to get in a squad together and just play until three in the morning you know oh for sure <laughs> yeah it's like that I, and then I, the height of like call of duty modern warfare just like uh, yeah modern warfare kings. yeah uh we got super into black ops too that was a great one yes something about that one in particular uh i don't know what it was that was a special game um i don't know why uh but yeah um yeah it's kind of gone in waves because nowadays i'm not really super into like the i'm not super into gaming as a whole anymore i would say i'm more just into straight sim racing again um maybe because that's 
just a reflection of what like oh i can't really afford like a full-on race car and trailer and what have <laughs> you but i can afford a a 15 dollar month subscription to iRacing or you know uh any other kind of racing games that's so yeah i mean like i'd, I'd sort of been dipping my toes into it as much as i can obviously uh you know i can't afford a you know five thousand dollar you know sim racing rig those things are, are pretty pretty full-on but obviously you know watching content from guys like uh, jimmy broadbent and sort of making mm-hmm. sim racing very approachable and, and very unique and, and sort of learning the ins and outs of you know what not to do and and sort of sim racing etiquette um is that something that you would like to sort of, I guess, get involved in um, a little bit more as as the years go on? Is that something that look, you know, might look to take your fancy? You know, I thought about it, but I think I I wouldn't want to turn one of my other hobbies into another uh, job that I have to worry about. Um, <laughs> sure. Which is the same reason I would never want to make cooking content either. Even though I <laughs> joked about that earlier, uh, you know, especially that cooking is. Uh, a great hot great relaxing hobby where you don't need to feel competitive at all uh so i wouldn't want to introduce any sort of weird financial kind of i wouldn't want to introduce the grind set to that you know um, <laughs> <laughs> uh going back real quick to just my gaming upbringing i think the transition to like the purely sim racing uh mindset that i have today happened in college like i think in college all i did was racing games again like you know Forza Motorsport 4 spent so much time, neglected a lot of responsibilities in college playing that. Um, <laughs> Dirt Rally, played a lot of Dirt Rally. And then later on, when Forza 7 came out, that's when I was I was all in on that. Uh, yeah, and now, now, I don't know, now I don't know how much, or nowadays I wish I just had more time to devote to get back into gaming again. Um, I wish PlayStation 5s were more readily available. Yeah, I, I definitely consider myself lucky having owned uh, one at the moment um, and playing Gran Turismo 7 on that is uh, a sight <sighs> to behold. Uh, yeah. I will say that much. Um, yeah, we got we got that at the office. We, we were able to secure some PlayStations for the office and uh, that's been a lot of fun. Yes, I, I saw the uh, the advertisements you did with uh, your co-host Jeremiah and that looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... it's a. It's, that's an amazing game. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess we should uh, move on to the game that you have, of course, chosen for us today, Nolan. And uh, we sort of made a little bit of a reference to it uh, previously. But uh, yeah, what game have you chosen for us? Uh, Midnight Club 3. A very seminal game for me uh, and just influenced a lot of what I think about cars and also music and just... Uh, just what a great game <laughs> yeah i mean this was around the sort of like 2004 2005 obviously the fast and the furious had sort of you know really sort of struck the collective mind of of people around the world yep and, and even then like for me personally i i played a lot of need for speed underground and it's it's sequel and and i think like obviously games like gran turismo and you know those sorts of like sim-ish racing games were around at the time but really like street racing and that sort of style of of you know rate those style of racing games were probably the bigger sort of titles at the time like everyone just loved that sort of like modding and you know racing cars in the street sort of thing absolutely i mean thinking back like you said the need for speeds midnight clubs but then there's also like kind of the 
the B and C tier games of that of that genre, like <laughs> you're juiced. Oh yeah, and, juiced. <laughs> <laughs> juiced and uh, Street Racing Syndicate, which I I don't know how I pulled that one out of my hat just now. Uh, I haven't thought of that game in in years. Um, <laughs> not burnout, not really, but yeah. I mean, it was it was a cultural moment for sure. Definitely spurred on by Fast and Furious, like you said. But also, I mean, I don't have my PS2 with me now, so I I watched a lot of. Uh, uh, just reviews of Midnight Club Three in preparation for this, and it's just like I think one of the developers, I think in like a retrospective, said that Dub Magazine, uh, Dub Magazine helped. They consulted on the game, and they they kind of guided Rockstar and and tried to point them towards cars and mods and brands that would be cool at the time that the game came out, mm. and. The director, I think, of the game was saying that they were pretty spot on, and I think that's what allows the game to still be good today, um, or at least super nostalgic when you watch it on YouTube, is that all the brands and all the cars were just, it's just so emblematic of the time when the game came out, and that era of that kind of cheesy underglow street racing ugly body kit era of car culture (laughs) you know yeah i mean it's interesting because like doing a bit of research myself like it it, it was i think this was one of the the first midnight club games that actually had i think licensed cars like you were sort of saying there um the work that they did with with dub magazine and i think like apart from maybe like the Burnout series, I don't think there was a game that really had unlicensed cars. And I think that that sort of pulling power that, you know, having, uh, a, a, I was going to say a Cadillac Escalade and those like really sort of <laughs> chunky SUVs mixed with yeah. like, you know, Lancer Evos and you know Chryslers and things like that. I think like that sort of glitz and glamour and that sort of extravagance that seemed to come out of, um, games like Midnight Club and Need for Speed Underground, I think, was almost like the the selling point. I'd say, like, apart from you know, when I think of Need for Speed Underground, I don't think of you know the drag races and all that sort of stuff. I'm thinking, okay, I've got a Mazda two here. How, how can <laughs> yeah. I, you know, make this look absolutely obscene as possible with a a huge like tear decal down the side of my car, spinners and you know neon lights underneath, like. For me, it's like I could have spent hours just customizing a car. And that's that's for me today. Like you look at me going into Gran Turismo, I'm like, what's the best design that I can put on my, you know, Formula One car or this, you know, this just absolutely obscene monster. And it's like the racing, obviously Gran Turismo is a little bit different because the racing is pretty important, but I've always had that sort of creative side to me. And I think games like Midnight Club and Need for Speed really sort of brought that out absolutely and and it just the you could uh fulfill your your fantasy of of being that that uh rebellious street racer you know like i mean at the time i was playing i was probably like 12 years old you know living in a rural town of of 30,000 people you know there wasn't really a, a strong uh street racing scene there um like the closest thing to a, to a, a a tuner car would be someone with like a clapped out eclipse with a huge subwoofer in the trunk, you know? So with this game, like you could, (laughs) you could have, you could be Dom Toretto, you could be, uh, Brian O'Connor, um, 
great game. <laughs> um, I think also you you mentioned the the music culture that sort of came out of games like this, and I think it's it's another sort of thing that you know th- those sorts of street racing games sort of really cultivated was that mix of like rap and rock, and especially yes. at that time around the mid sort of two thousands, like. There was some there was some heavy hitters going around that at that time. Oh, absolutely! I think Rockstar is one of the best uh, has one of the best ears for music when it comes to games. Like oh, every I'd Grand agree. Theft Auto yeah. has, a, you know, such a, a a memorable soundtrack, and they really like the same thing goes for this for this game as well. Like I for you know in the, in the days leading up to this podcast i've been listening back to it and i mean it's just so funny how much it influenced my musical taste again like being like just in a rural town small town but uh hearing all this hip mostly like a lot of hip-hop really great hip-hop in this game really set me on a course to to be into that music into that genre i don't know if that would have necessarily happened otherwise had i not had this game um you know nowadays like some of my favorite artists Kendrick Lamar and Earl Sweatshirt, uh, Saba from Chicago. Like, I don't know if that happens without Midnight Club 3. Really open, like, you know, riding in my parents' car, like, even today, it's just like classic rock from the 70s, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and at that time, too, like the PS2 era, you know, music streaming and YouTube were not a thing. Um, video games were, probably besides movies, video games were probably the best way for kids to hear music that they otherwise wouldn't listen to. Oh, agreed. Yeah, like I, I'm i one of those people who found most of his music through the FIFA soundtracks and, and going through mm-hmm. the EA sports games and, mm-hmm. and figuring out, oh, I've never heard this artist before. And, then you know, it might be an artist from like Ireland or something that I've never heard who's an indie band and only created one EP, but like I love yeah. them. <laughs> I love them for years and listen to that that EP nonstop. But like, yeah, yeah, it, I definitely agree. Like around that time, you, you you definitely get a better sense of of the music culture and and sort of you you get a bit of a, an idea of what's what's current and what's fresh in in the mind. And and I mean, even looking at the the soundtrack from Midnight Club Three, like the game, Paul Wall, Fifty Cent, and then even going into like Jimmy Eat World, Kasabian, Marilyn Manson, mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails, like so eclectic like that's that's the the thing i love about it a dance hall music and a lot of drum and bass it's just like yeah (laughs) you're playing this as like a young kid like those are those aren't those aren't songs you're ever going to hear uh in your day-to-day it's just it's so funny um i had a thought about rockstar in general like that's why i think this game succeeds so well like it just pulls off the the i think the the way sorry Rockstar's kind of design mentality, I think, or their, their sensibilities, rather, that they carried over from games like the Grand Theft Auto series, which, you know, are, are parody games for the most part. Like, at least yeah. in the, in the storylines and especially the advertisements you hear in, in-game radio, like, that sort of sensibility, they carried it over to a, a, a more serious racing game, but it's... I don't think this game is a parody of street racing culture, but it is... How do I say this? I think parody does require some sort of appreciation of whatever you're parody or of whatever you're making fun of. Mm. I think they brought that mentality to this genre without 
being overly comical about it. It's like a parody without jokes almost, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, um, that, that definitely makes sense. But because they brought in Dub Magazine and other consultants to like uh, <laughs> to tell them what was really cool in American card culture at that time, I think they really pulled it off. Um, and I, yeah, music selection definitely played a huge part of that. You know, there's not a lot, I don't think there's a lot of uh, British artists in this game. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe here and there, maybe some of the DJs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just what, it's just a, just an amazing time capsule for the era. I think as well, like you sort of mentioned that link between, you know, Rockstar and, and, and Grand Theft Auto. And I think given that the fact that this is a quite an open world game as well, um, I think Underground 2 was, was sort of the same way, but I think that link that Rockstar had to those sort of open world games and, and sort of only just starting to, I guess, dip their feet into that open world part of GTA. I, obviously, I think GTA 3 was 2001 or 2, so that only just sort of started working on open world games at the time. Like, there's obviously a bit of a, an overlap or a connecting sort of thread there where they were obviously, they could have easily used that as inspiration for um a new gta game or, or sort of use that um i guess going forward so there's always a bit of um an interesting link that that rockstar i guess has been able to create but i think you're, you're definitely right in that regard like they they've definitely not so much it's not a pastiche of or um you know a bit of a joke of of you know, street racing and that sort of modding car culture, but they've certainly taken sort of the best bits of it. And I think underground as well, like those sorts of racing games where they're, they're like, okay, it's drag racing, it's circuit racing. And it's, and it's like creating the cars. It's like the best bits of car culture. And then that's pretty much it. And like, they've basically Mm -hmm. just been like, okay, let's just get all the good stuff in all killer, no filler. And basically just go from there and i think that's what they were able to succeed with in in those sorts of games and i think that's generally why they were so popular mm-hmm. yeah i guess i guess parody without jokes is uh, is homage i guess um homage, but it doesn't take itself yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take itself super seriously like some of the other ones the stakes are super low in the story if i remember you're not trying to like take down someone who stole your car or or what have you you're just like a your new driver on the scene and you're just going to do some races around three cities and you're going to meet some some interesting people and drive some cool cars and listen to some awesome music um i it's weird i don't story story in racing games is always super interesting um i don't i don't know where i'm going with that thought but no i i <laughs> i definitely agree even games like there was a codemasters obviously you know, going back to them doing dirt and they somehow managed to, to, to fit stories into their games and even going back to like the Toka race driver and V8 supercars race driver oh, yeah. games that they did. Yeah. Um, even around this sort of time, like they managed to put it like a career mode, like a story mode in it. So it's sometimes it can be done well. Other times it, it can sort of crash and burn, pun intended. Um, and sort of it, it's not, it's it's particularly hokey and cheesy and, and all that sort of stuff but it you know it would be tough for me to sort of think of a a career mode or a story mode in a racing game that was that felt legit and felt you know somewhat um you know 
true to the the racing series that was it was being you know portrayed in i think maybe even some of like the f1 games uh they're probably like the closest that i can think of recently but um yeah it's always difficult to sort of find that balance um i think even underground was 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 definitely you know they they were partly to blame for that as well like they had a very sort of very loose um story mode that sort of filtered into yeah. the, the next couple of games like most wanted and things like that so yeah i remember they had the uh they they had actors in front of green screens right like doing these yes. uh <laughs> these interludes yeah i remember that they looked the first terrible one. Was... <laughs> uh yeah I, I actually didn't get super into the the underground games surprisingly uh, I did have the first one underground one I played that I think I just I, I just preferred midnight club for some reason um, it really nails like there's like a, a almost like a toy box kind of feel to it because um, the the handling isn't as sticky as like the need for speed games it's not as sim heavy it's just more of just like a hey here's these cool cars go modify them also uh we put a giant roller coaster jump in the san diego map go jump <laughs> off that have fun oh that that's the that's how you get people interested you, you get all the, the <laughs> yeah. wacky crazy shit going that's awesome <laughs> yeah giant jumps i think each map had like a giant jump on it san diego was a roller coaster uh atlanta had one that went like between an apartment building and then detroit had one in the factory area man i haven't played this game in a long time but it's all kind of coming back to me i spent a lot of time in this game matt <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to dig it up somehow maybe get a uh, a legal mod uh, or sort of wrong for that one so <laughs> but, yeah maybe <laughs> but uh i guess to sort of finish up um obviously we we sort of talk about how uh the game that the guest has brought on has sort of influenced their personal life or their career and uh, we've obviously talked about that sort of link uh, with your your family and sort of bringing you into to car culture, but uh, I guess to sum it up, how would you say this game has sort of influenced that that love of of cars for you, and and how does that sort of look for you going forward? Well, man, it's funny. I haven't really th- I haven't thought about it in this way, but you know that game was all about the the tuner cars and modifying. You know, you start out with cars that you can you can. Af- you can feasibly afford and try to work your way up to supercars and stuff. And, um, now it's like my whole, my whole job is based around talking about cars that you could feasibly afford and modify (laughs) in in fun ways and make it your own. Um, I mean, that's a, that, that's a, wow. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe this, uh, midnight club set me on a, Maybe it's deterministic in that way. Maybe I was fated to do it. No, that's that's very pretentious. <laughs> um, <laughs> cut that part out. No. <laughs> um, no, I think it just really gave me like an early appreciation for kind of. I won't say the street racing scene because I'm certainly not. I'm not a proponent of street racing, but at least the car modifying scene and just the the just having a deeper appreciation for for all, all sorts of, uh, different kinds of rides that you normally wouldn't be into. Um, I mean, growing up, like all anybody in my, in my hometown drove, like the, all the cool cars were just like hot rods and, and muscle cars really. Um, that, that's what was considered cool. But midnight club, you know, opened my eyes to, to JDM cars and German cars. Mm. 
what have you. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, you can you can have a cool <laughs> you can have a cool Passat in this game. That's something <laughs> you can do, you know? Or Jetta, not a Passat. I, um, I saw that there was a I think a Dodge Neon in the game and I was oh, like Oh man. Knowing knowing the the lore of, of Donut Media and, and how much <laughs> you guys I, I guess particularly despise the Dodge Neon. Um <laughs> it, it was it was pretty funny to see that. Well, man, I mean, now that I think about it, now that you brought it up, I Maybe that's the reason I still want one of those, the Neon SRT4. Maybe that's why I still want one today. Uh, it's because that game. It's just like that. That's just a that's emblematic of that time. I keep saying emblematic. That's really uh, just a purest distillation of that of that time period for me. I think it's like, <laughs> hey, like this is an American company making a turbocharged four cylinder tuner car. Like, have at it, you know? Yeah. I still, I st- I still do want one. Yeah. I think that's a, a perfect. So maybe place. that's the lasting influence. I want, yeah, <laughs> yeah. perfect place to uh, to finish up. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Nolan, this has been a, a, a interesting insight into uh, how you've been able to to I guess create a passion and and a, a career almost out of, um, out of out of car culture. And it's been uh, wonderful having you on the show. Is there uh, as we finish up anything that uh, you'd like t- uh, people to know or any social channels you, you want people to follow? Sure. Uh, yeah. First, thanks for having me on. Um, if if you are completely unfamiliar with Donut Media, check out Donut Media on uh, YouTube. You can find it there. Uh, we try to, you know, we try to make car content for everybody. You don't have to be super into cars to like our stuff. I think uh, we do a good job of um, welcoming you into the world of cars. Um, and if you'd like, if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Nolan J Sykes on all social media. I mean, if I'm able to follow some of the content Donut Media is making, it's pretty accessible for most people. So that should be the most shining endorsement for people to uh, to go and watch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and of course, if you'd like to follow what we're doing here at One Perfect Game, you can always do so at uh, OPG Pod on Twitter. You can always follow me at It's Tilby. But that is it for another episode of One Perfect Game from myself, Matt Tilby, and my very special guest, Nolan Sykes. It is goodbye for now. Take care. Thank you.